Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Thank you for tuning in today. This is an hour dedicated to understanding enlightenment, what it means and what it just might be to be truly enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and what we believe. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to eldontaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com forward slash chat. Okay, Raph, tell us, what's happening in the chat room today? What's happening in the chat room is just amazing conversation. I'm sure we are going to be sharing all our own personal stories regarding animals today because we all love animals. So, yeah, and then we will be sharing tips. You know, everyone always has bits of advice. So do please come join us at eltontaylor.com forward slash chat. Come in, say hello, join the chat or just observe whatever you prefer. You know, and, and the wonderful thing about the chat is it really does add another dimension to the show. But you um, you keep forgetting to tell everybody that your chat log is up. So when the show is replayed throughout this week, the chat is there and they can go in and while they're listening to the show, they can also look at the chat and, and very often our guests go into the chat room and, and answer questions there. They do. We often have guests coming in or if the guest isn't there, then their assistant can be there as well. So we can get some amazing insights that don't come out on the air. So it's definitely worth checking out. Eltontaylor.com forward slash chat in case you've forgotten. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week we had two guests, the co-authors of Talking to the Dead, George Nury and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Our conversation was about the other side and the technical as well as the moral and ethical nature of spirit communication. If you missed this show, be sure to catch it in the archives. Richard commented in our chat room, Finally, a show that's not all flowers and daisies about the spirit world. It's all worth awareness and discernment. Xavier wrote, I listen to Coast to Coast all the time. I love George Nury. He is like you, so open and down to earth and yet practical about what he believes. I love when you're his guest, and it was wonderful to hear him as your guest. You need to bring him back for a full hour. Well, that's not a bad idea, Xavier. Isha remarked, that was so good, and I'm so upset it had to end. (laughs) Now, Isha happens to be your niece. And your niece, too? Well, yeah, our niece. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Duh. Yeah. Right. And and it's good. She's in uh, London, England. That's what I wanted to bring out. Sheffield, actually. Sheffield. Okay. And uh, she brought uh, some interesting people to the to the chat room last week, and indeed a philosopher, you were telling me. That's correct. She did. She brought in a bunch of people. She does some really amazing stuff. She's, uh, you know, in her early 20s, and she asks some really deep questions, and she has a special face group, Facebook. Facebook group. There you go. For that. So, yeah. And, and, amazing. And, and you could plug that group, and that's why I gave you the setup. Yeah, you'll have to come into the chat room because I, I think you have to have a special invite from Isha for it. But if you come into the chat room, I'm sure she will send you a special invite to join her group. And it's really cool stuff. She asks some really deep questions. It's an amazing group of people. All right, cool. 
Kathy wrote, Anisha, I do know you're my niece. Forgive me. Okay. Kathy wrote, thank you for your wonderful work. I love the balance you bring to this subject. Now, on another subject, Terry wrote, thanks. I am learning a lot from your books. I'm on my fifth one. Diana wrote, thank you for your wealth of wisdom. You share so freely. It changes lives for the good. Gwyneth wrote, you sent me CDs for RA and healing. I have been playing them every day and night, and I am so happy that I found your program. You guys are really helping others. Thank you. Lisa wrote, one difference I noticed with your CDs and others I have used in the past is that your CDs are worded in the first person. For example, I am relaxed and at ease versus the other company who always worded everything as you are relaxed and at ease. They always worded it as if someone else was saying it to me. And your CDs are more like my own self talking to myself. I have seen great results with your CDs over the last two years, but only slight improvement with the previous company I had used for several years. Okay, well, Lisa, you're absolutely correct in your observation of the I versus you message format. In fact, we've run some research on that. So for, for that reason, indeed, it does make a significant difference. Now, that said, that is only one of the elements that separates InterTalk from the rest of the crowd, if you will. The original patent uh, called out 105 differences or claims. But thanks for your feedback, Lisa. Kimberly wrote, thank you for the free InterTalk MP3 programs. They have been very important to me, and I can't thank you enough. You just did, Kimberly, and for all of you, please remember, get your free InterTalk MP3 downloads by going to my website, eldentaylor.com, and choosing free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. We think of this as just part of our pay-it-forward or walk-the-talk effort. While you're there, be sure to register for my free newsletter. Again, do both by going to eldentaylor.com. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. Uh, we can't get all of your letters on the air, but they do impact our programming, and I thank you for your feedback and continued support. Now to today's show, God's Covenant with the Animal Kingdom. If you're a regular listener to this show, then you know of my love for animals. If you were to visit my home, you would find a variety of animals living indoors with my family. So it's not just the farm animals like horses and chickens that we love around this ranch. Uh, it's also the two cats, the eight dogs, the three parrots, the one dove uh, that all live inside the walls of my home, mostly <laughs> thanks to my wonderful wife who never wanted any pets when we first met true but that's another story <laughs> so now when i think of domesticated animals the first thing that comes to my mind is loyalty what comes to yours i have witnessed some amazing acts by animals and there are innumerable others all well documented where an animal saves a baby a child an adult or another animal risking and sometimes losing its own life in the process. There are also ample examples of animal consciousness exchanging thought patterns, or if you prefer, somehow communicating, not just with other animals, but with people. And when your loyal friend comes to the end of its life, 
it can be as traumatic a loss as losing any loved one. So naturally, we question, do animals have a soul? Do they have an afterlife? Now, we have hosted some animal communicators that insist that animals live on in the afterlife. Their accounts, however, do not always concur. So one might turn to the sacred literature. What does it say? Hindus believe that your soul, my soul, everyone's soul, could come back as either a human or an animal. Buddhism is less clear. Some say reincarnation within Buddhist thinking includes the possibility of transmigration or a human soul coming back as an animal. However, technically the teachings believe that escape from rebirth comes only from accepting that there is no you or I per se. In other words, all of this is an illusion and we don't exist. How about the Bible then? If we turn to the Bible, what does it say? For many Christians, you know, they have taken a verse out of the Bible that supposedly gives them dominion over the animals. So with this dominion over the animals, man has the ability or the right to choose to do with them as he wishes. But is that what that scripture really means? Our guest today has written a marvelous book, and you can get it free, so be sure to listen up later when we tell you how. The book is titled God's Covenant with the Animal Kingdom. She writes in the foreword, and I quote, As an anniversary celebration of sorts to mark 20 privileged years of serving God and animals by practicing the art of veterinary medicine, I give you my thoughts regarding the question of the spiritual nature of animal kingdom, and the answers God has so graciously provided me, close quote. Our guest today actually has over 30 years of experience as a veterinarian. She takes a holistic approach to her practice. I am speaking of Dr. Carol L. Galka Agnew. On her website, drgalka.com, that's D-R-G-A-L-K-A.com, she writes, and I quote again, I have spent the vast majority of my life's waking hours asking why about the multitudes of questions. As years have accumulated, the focus of my inquiries has narrowed to the question of what happens to animals after their time on Earth. Although this question is a small piece of the grand puzzle of our existence on this planet, its answer has become the central theme of my life's purpose, close quote. So let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Carol Galka Agnew. Well, hi, Eldon. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It's our pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation, as you know. So let's, let's begin by learning a little bit about, you know, you, Dr. Galka. When and why did you first become interested in the spiritual aspect of animals? Well, I've always been interested in the spiritual aspect or, or always intuitively realized that animals were spirit beings as humans are. But as a veterinarian, it became more of a, um, of a focus of, of uh, concern to me, you know, dealing with the subject of euthanasia. And uh, that started me on my quest to really find answers. 
Okay, well, now, so you say intuitively you have known this. So so let me just play devil's advocate a little bit, because, you know, the skeptics, and and first of all, I concur with you, but the skeptics are going to ask you, they're going to ask me, they're going to ask anyone that puts their foot out there and says animals have, and and says something like animals have a spiritual life, they're going to ask them, where do you come up with that? I mean, they're carbon-based products of natural selection, you know, organisms with limited capacities for intelligence, uh, and and when the synapses in their brains, and and I believe, you know, that's how it's uh, put by Ptolemy, when the synapses in their brains flutter to a stop at death, that's the end of it. So how how do you how do you answer people that will come at you with that kind of a statement? Well, I've always realized that animals are as self-aware as most people that I know. It was always evident to me uh that animals have such a depth of emotion, dimensions to their personalities that they just had to be spirit beings as humans were. And I guess you take that on faith for humans as well as the animal kingdom because really you can debate back and forth about that topic of is there life after death. Um, Kind of perpetually you can just go on and on uh, into a stalemate if – if you you choose to to go that route <laughs> there, there, you know and that really does beg the question because in your answer what what you're what these doubters are you know invariably saying is there is no such thing as a soul period an afterlife period so the people that would really challenge that are the people that for all intent and purposes believe that you know we're just a product of you know, random uh, chaos, uh, evolution, and, you know, from dust thou art to dust returneth is indeed spoken of every aspect of our being. So given given that, I, 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 one of the things that I think moves people like yourself to, to really feeling um, intuitively this, this uh, level of communication, this level of connectedness to animals is the bonding experience that you have with them. And, and, and you have a wonderful story that you tell, you call the Freddy factor. Please share that with us. Um, the Freddy factor is in regard to my heart dog and mm-hmm. Many of you have had the honor of having animal friends that were were more than than just a companion. Uh, The difference maybe between loving an animal, but then the next step of more being in love with that animal, uh, a heart connection in a deeper way. And um, my, my pastor... Uh, taught me about the Freddy factor, uh, you know, after I had lost him. And uh, he he had a very profound impact on me when he was telling me that God loves the animals more than I can love the animals, so he provides for them. And uh, that is basically the essence of the Freddy factor. It is a wonderful story of how you as a veterinarian first encountered Freddie. 
my understanding is the owner brought in this litter of puppies. Share that with us, would you please? Well, I wasn't looking to add to my family. Of course, you folks know how that goes. And I saw this litter of puppies and had an instant connection with this particular dog that lasted, well, from the moment I saw him, it's still ongoing, even though he hasn't been on this planet for six years now. I had the awesome privilege of being given a special relationship with an animal that exceeds our ordinary love that we have for our animals as our companions. As I said, he he is my heart dog. That can happen with a cat, with a horse, with a bird, (laughs) as we all know. Uh, But I had never encountered that level of of connectedness with an animal before. I had loved all my other animals, but I had never been in love with an animal until that time. I, I laid eyes on him, and the love affair has never stopped from that time on. <laughs> That's wonderful. How often, Dr. Galka, do you, do you encounter uh, people with their animals, their animal friends, their pets, whatever we're most comfortable with there, who are actually in love with their animal as opposed to the custodian? Not that often, um, but when I have encountered it, before I, before I had Freddie, um, I didn't quite understand. You know, when I would have people, when they would lose their animals, just totally crushed and so devastated that they could, could barely even pick themselves up off the floor yes. and, you know, stumble out of my office and, you know, never get an animal again because they were just so devastated. And uh, that that was definitely not, you know, the, the highest percentage. I would say maybe in my lifetime I only ran into maybe 20 or 30 people like that compared to all the, you know, many, many clients that I've had the honor of you know, helping throughout my years. So it's not all that common. So when it happened to me, then I understood what they were going (laughs) through (laughs) and the bond that they had, that extra dimension, that extra bond that they had. You know, there's something that you say in your book that that distills this idea, I think. Uh, I I was taken by it because I... I've never done it, uh, but I have had a, more than one genuine love affair with an animal. Uh, that it, when you lose them, it rips your heart out. Uh, but you actually make a declaration to that animal when when you when you take an animal in, whether you've adopted the animal uh, as a rescue mission or a, as you did here uh, with Freddie. When you take the animal in, you actually make a declaration of the animal. Share that with us, will you? Yes. Um, I, I actually verbally tell the animals that I am making a covenant with them to care for them, to be their guardian, to bring them into my family, and have them become part of the blended human-animal family at our home. And I actually verbally tell them this, and 
it's just very amazing some of the uh, responses that I get, the way they look at you or their body language. Um, Every day we pray with our animals, and at prayer time, they all get very quiet and uh, reverent, you could almost label it. So it's, it's very touching. It's an amazing difference, I know firsthand, in treating an animal with the respect that you might treat a child. Uh, your own child, uh, talking to him, communicating with him, telling him, you know, uh, how you feel and, and attempting to understand how they're feeling or uh, as opposed to the typical custodial role that that many people take with their animals. And, and I think what you just said, that setting of intention, uh, that would make a huge difference. Is that something that you've ever expressed to your clients? Yes, I, I often share, you know, this with them uh, when they acquire a new puppy or a new kitten. I often do, you know, tell them about this, and uh, I even make a point of referring to my clients as guardians of the animals rather than owners. That's very important to me that people have that brought to their attention that, Yes, they are custodians. They are responsible for their animals' care in a guardianship uh, manner, not so much as the animal being a property or a possession. So now your book, I I found it very, it's a wonderful book. Uh, And I don't think you have to be a Christian to enjoy the insight that's in your book, despite the fact that, you know, you're referring essentially to to biblical literature. But the Christian, the common Christian attitude towards animals is the one of dominion you heard in the setup piece. Uh, How how do you reconcile that? Uh, How do you explain the juxtaposition between that position and, say, your position, Um, especially where, you know, you're both coming from a Christian perspective? Well, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, where God does declare that humankind is given dominion over the animals, I believe in the study I've done that that word really means stewardship, caretakership, benevolent authority. But in the process of the curse and the fall that occurred, if if you're, you know, viewing the world system through the Christian um, aspect, that has all been mutated into subjugation and abuse and oppressive rule, and many people in the Christ, Christian church, you know, don't don't realize that, and they don't uh, take that into consideration, that the original dominion did not mean how many people treat animals now as just being disposable property or, you know, as food items, and there isn't that respect for animals that I think God originally intended for humans to have. 
you know, you're absolutely right about the root of the word, and I think that, you know, the miscommunication, of course, obviously begins in, in how you define a word. And, uh, you know, we've got a hard break coming up, but when we come back, I want to I wanna start, you know, go directly into your book and, and start, you know, our conversation with the story you, you say begins all with Noah. So if you can, you know, kind of get prepared to talk about Noah, when we come back from the break, we'll pick that up. The book is God's Covenant with the Animal Kingdom, and the website is www.drgalka, that's D-R-G-A-L-K-A dot com. Now, if you're not already in our chat room, this is a great time to join in the conversation. Hurry, though, for we have a video that asks an interesting question for you during the break. Do dead dogs haunt their graves? Just go to Eldon Taylor, that's E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R dot com forward slash chat. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after these words from some of our friends. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.intertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Intertalk.com. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High Is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Carol Galka Agnew about her book, God's Covenant with the Animal Kingdom. But before we get back to today's show, I want to remind you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan, you'll always know where we are and what's on next. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there. If you like our show, please do spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. Okay, before the break, we were about to discuss where our guest, uh, Dr. Uh, Galka believes this whole story biblically begins, and that's with Noah. So pick it up from there, Dr. Galka. Okay, I'd be happy to. Um, 
I'm not sure if the story begins with Noah, but that's where my revelation started when I was reading the story of Noah and the covenant that God made with Noah. It hit me square between the eyes that God was including the animals along with the humans when he said, I'm making this covenant with you. Five times in Genesis 9, God said, I am making this covenant with the human race and with the animals. And that just got me really excited to realize that God thought so much of the animals that he made a covenant with them. And that's where my research started uh, in discovering that the Bible is just full of promises about uh, the restoration of the world, including the animal kingdom. Okay, and now we're going to take some phone calls in a bit, but what I'm going to ask you next is, is maybe not too popular an idea, but I'm always encountering people that believe animals are the perfect example of loyalty and love. And I admit to first thinking of loyalty myself, but that's unique to my experiences, and I know it. I've also seen some outright cruelty carried out by one animal against another. The stallion that so desires the mare that he kills the six- or seven-day-old foal while the mare's in foal heat. Or the pet dog that pulls the young lamb down and tears its throat out. And, And I could go on, but I think it is fair to say that animals may be good teachers, but not because they are elevated like all of them in a special place uh, or that there's special peace and and love teachers could you not also tell a story or two of animals that betrayed their masters or behaved in some other less than noble way oh my i i have many of those <laughs> because of course the animals are subject to the fallen world that we live in and they've been born under the curse as well, as humankind goes, so go the animals. In my own family situation, the uh, dogs that we most recently rescued uh, turned against the older dogs in our family, and we had down-and-out, drag-out, knock-down fights between the young dogs trying to basically kill off my older dogs in my own family. Uh, So that was very, very distressing on a personal basis. Um, And uh, the advice that we got from the trainers and behaviorists was to eliminate the young dogs. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I've made a covenant with them. I brought them into my home. They are part of our family. We are going to work this out which we have been doing for over three years now, <laughs> working it out by, you know, keeping the, the older dogs away from the young dogs, rotating them, uh, making sure that, you know, they can't have opportunity to show their baser nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yes, that, that certainly does, does occur. Animals are not all goodness and light uh, because of the fall. But they will be at some future point. Perhaps like humans. Yes. We will keep the faith. Okay. Yes. You say 
that the Bible does allude to God's special plan for animals. And, and I'd like you to unpack that and share this construct with us, please. Well, there are many places in the Bible that there is reference to the animals having the nature that God originally intended that can be found in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, uh, Romans 5 refers to paradise regained when the earth will be restored to the way that God originally intended, and it makes reference to all of the earth being restored, the curse of the first Adam being revoked, and probably the best passage of all that I can share with your listeners comes from Romans 8 uh, that describes the redemption of our bodies, that the whole creation waits and groans in expectation of the redemption that God has planned and the hope that is there that everything is going to be brought back to the original good creation that God originally intended. And that's found in Romans 8. Okay. Now, if if you're not Christian, um, the bottom line to what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, Dr. Galka, is animals possess a soul. They're somewhat akin to... Uh, Humans, uh, there are good, better, best uh, expressions of the um, truer nature of humanness that we see manifest in the world. That is to mean that, you know, there are there are acts of criminality and there are acts of great generosity uh, uh, and, and, and in between the compendium. And, and that that is true also of animals. Do I Absolutely. have that more or less? Okay. That, that is the way I perceive it. Mm-hmm. I think we're then, in agreement. Then let's take the next step that would logically follow. I, I happen to be in accord with you on this one, but but you you believe animals are sentient beings, and you actually say in your book that you're aware of pets that reason. Please share with us your experience and evidence for insisting that animals are capable of reason. Uh, how many hours do we have <laughs> to oh, well, okay. talk about this? Give I, us one or two. Then. <laughs> well, I can give you one. I'll, I'll try to make this really quick. This is a, another animal that I ended up adopting myself. Uh, her name is Casey. She's a Boston Terrier, and this was many years ago. She came to my office for an illness. And uh, her her person had just passed away. The man had just passed away, and the wife was bringing Casey in. And I could tell that the wife really didn't have that great of a relationship with Casey, uh, just by her body language and the way she held her and the way she kind of complained about, you know, having to deal with Casey's medical issues. And uh, a few weeks later, the... The lady brought Casey back, and Casey wasn't walking. She wasn't moving. She appeared to be paralyzed. And the lady wanted me to euthanize Casey. 
and I suggested that I purchase Casey from the lady instead, and if I, you know, could not help Casey, that then I would proceed to do euthanasia if if I couldn't find a way to, you know, make her better. Well, well excuse I put- me for interrupting, but I, I'm going to interrupt right here and say it is just too bad that we don't have more veterinarians that are as concerned as you are about the welfare of the animal. I, I just, what you just said is just, you know, that is outstanding and honorable. Now I'll shut up and please continue. Oh, you don't have to shut up. Um, I, I love to hear, I'm sure you have as many good animal stories as I do. Uh, I'm sure all your listeners would love to hear your animal stories. You should devote a program to that. But anyway, to continue about Casey, I put her in a cage. It was a very busy day. I, I didn't have time to work up her case at that time, and I just put her on a blanket and you know, said I'd deal with her later in the day. By the time I came back to check on her, she was standing up. She was walking for me. She wasn't exhibiting any signs of illness. And I thought, well, this is just wonderful. Not only do I not have to put her to sleep, you know, I don't even have to work hard to get her better. Well, the long and the short of it was she didn't like women, even though I saved her life, so to speak. She still really didn't (laughs) have any appreciation for me. And my husband said, you know, let's find a home for her. And I didn't want to do that because she had been through so much. I wanted to keep her ourselves. And as soon as I told that dog that she was going to stay in our home, that I was not going to put her in through anything else as far as trying to be rehomed. She just didn't like my husband anymore and decided she was going to be my dog. (laughs) And she decided that she liked women all of a sudden. And then she lived out her life as a happy, happy little creature living a happy life in our home. But yeah, that there's there's reasoning. She she wouldn't even look at me until I put my foot down and said we're not going to rehome her. And then she went. She decided she wasn't going to look at my husband anymore, and she never did. She never did warm up to my husband after that. She's like, "You were going to get rid of me. Well, I'm getting rid of you." (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, now here's a tough one. You have two chapters in your book on death and dying or death and saying goodbye. And it seems to me that the euthanasia process is is an empty, soulless kind of event, if you will, at least from my experience with with veterinarians and, and, and their technicians. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking of putting an animal down because no one wants them, like in a shelter, so much as you've come to the point where the animal, your friend, is in an is in intractable pain. The end is inevitable. So you gather him or her up and you visit the veterinarian where a lethal injection is given rather matter-of-factly. No no emotion involved. The family, you know, can they're holding on to their friend, tears pouring from their cheeks, and in comes some strange unknown technician, typically. Uh, they inject a vein, usually in the leg, And maybe in their haste with an older animal, because the veins are fragile, they 
they rupture the vein and they're forced to withdraw the syringe and make another injection and the animal jerks and whimpers in pain in that that last couple of seconds how how does an owner avoid this routine like action and and say goodbye to their animals with dignity and and honor and the respect an animal deserves well there are veterinarians that do have a feeling for their clients and their patients. But I, I have heard over the years that, that that's certainly not true of all of my colleagues. I, I will say that, you know, I always ended up crying with my patients, my, not my patients, but crying with my clients when I was having to euthanize my patients. And um, that's not always good because, you know, that keeps you so raw emotionally. So I think a lot of veterinarians go way far to the other extreme of, of not having any emotion or, or showing any emotion uh, because they don't, you know, want to wear themselves down, you know, by sharing the emotional pain with their clients at that time. So it is a very difficult difficult time for everybody involved, uh, for the clients and the veterinarians. And of course, you know, it's, it's that ending transition for the animals. So everybody is, you know, at, at, um, a very intense level of emotion at that time. I, I know when I have performed euthanasia over the years, I always pray over the animals and ask the people, you know, if, if they want to be there with me while I pray over the animals and commit them back to God. Well, I mean, you said it all. Find uh, find the right veterinarian. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm going through something with my own uh, German Shepherd right now, a lymphoma, and uh, we approached it, you know, from the orthodox. Let's be scientific. Let's go get the chemo. Let's do the very best. Uh, Madison Protocol and. Uh, yeah, you know, just the bottom line. I, I have been fortunate to find an alternative route with an alternative veterinarian who uh, does really care about the animal. It's not just a numbers game, and and that is a that is a huge difference. And 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 again, I applaud you for that. Let's uh, I, 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 I let's go to the phone. I've got other questions here for you. I want to get in, but I also promised that we would take a phone call or two. So let's we'll go back and forth. Let's sure. go to line one and talk to Joan out of Kingston, Pennsylvania. Joan, welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Joan, are you there? All right. Well, apparently we've lost Joan, so that's okay. I'll go on and 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 I'll ask you this next question. During the break, we showed a film, and and the film showed animal hauntings. Um, it proposes that dogs haunt graves. Now that, that's a new notion to me. And, and at the same time, that said, um, animal cemeteries, I, I do believe, um, have a, at least I, I detect with my own intuition, um, a spiritual presence there. What, what do you know about this, Dr. Galka? I, I actually don't think I have much that I can say about it because this is 
I, I, I haven't heard of this before, so you may have to teach me about this rather than well. me having anything to tell you. <laughs> okay. I, I haven't it, it, really heard about this. It was new to me when I found it, and, and that's why we showed it in the, uh, in the chat room, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Reincarnation, however, is a subject that is often denied in Christianity, denied or avoided or misunderstood. Now, with that said, there are many stories about animals coming back as yet another pet to be with their original master. Uh, the friend of 15 years or so passes over. Six months or a year later, you buy another puppy, and lo and behold, the puppy seems to be the reincarnation of your deceased friend. Certainly, you've heard of this. What's your view yes. on this? I am a bit baffled, but I have heard of this, um, not infrequently, and I, I really don't have a opinion to give except that it's one of the wonders of this world, and there's so much that we don't know the answer to, and I've always just left that as one of the big question marks that's still in my mind of of what is what is that about okay i you know I, i've also heard that animals can take on a disease from their master either to take it away from the master and or to inform the master of the disease. Have you heard of this, and do you have an opinion on it, Dr. Galt? Yes, I have heard of that. I have seen that time and time again, the connection of illness between the animal and their guardian. Uh, I have had this experience in my own life also. So I think that is part of the job that God gives animals to do on this journey that we're on together of helping their humans through the various illnesses. And some animals are such caretakers that they actually do take the illness onto their own body as a sacrifice for their person. So after 33 years plus of veterinary practice, you would say that, indeed, this happens. You know this by experience. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do grab a phone call. Uh, on line two, we have Marianne from uh, Pennsylvania. And Marianne has, I think, a very important question. Marianne, welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Marianne, are you there? All right, maybe we're having a problem with the phones, but Marianne's question is this, Dr. Galka. When you put an animal down, do they understand what you're doing? I believe that they do. Over the years, I have had animals actually move away from their people and come sit beside me when I was discussing euthanasia with the people giving them the options, telling them from my knowledge that I, I have, even though it may not be all-encompassing, to tell them what I felt was best recourse for them, for their animal. I have actually had animals come over and look at me, sit beside me like they were leaving 
their people and showing their support for the decision that I was suggesting. And I have seen this quite frequently, quite frequently. Wow. And, and when I have told animals, you know, that this is what, you know, we're going to do now, this is the only way I have to help you, they have very clearly, you know, shown me that they appreciate my help and that they were ready to, you know, go on and uh, leave their body that was so broken. You know, that, that kind of, I guess that presents a ethical question, uh, and, and that would be, it would go down the lines of this. If, uh, if it's acceptable uh, from a Christian perspective, from a, from a moral perspective, to euthanize an animal, is it acceptable to euthanize a human being who uh, is at the end of their life and has no hope for a future? Well, the way I have always thought of that situation is that animals do not have the responsibility to make a decision about their eternal destination. They are not the beings that sinned and, you know, brought the curse into the world. So they get a free pass, so to speak, to go on to heaven, if you want to use, you know, that term, that's the term that's used in the Christian Bible, where people have to make a decision uh, to be following God, to be accepting of the provision he has made. So if you end a person's life at some point by euthanasia, who is to say that they would not have made that decision or had opportunity to solidify their eternal destination, you know, at some point. Um, and if you take that away from them, if you want to go from the Christian biblical perspective of heaven and hell and choosing to follow Jesus, uh, you may be denying a person that opportunity. So there, there's where it's not really too difficult for me to say I, I'm not in favor of euthanasia. Gotcha. Very interesting perspective. We're out of time, Dr. Galka, but I want everybody to be able to get a copy of your book. You give it away at your website. Is that correct? That's correct. So we want everybody to go to uh, com and get your copy it's a great read whether you're christian or whatever you whatever your faith is, it is a great read it is very worthwhile we appreciate you being with us today dr galka we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment i want to thank all of you for joining us and i hope you enjoyed our show and we'll join us again next week same time and same place and if you have comments on our show do let us all know okay until next time wherever you are in the world you'd better believe Believing in yourself always matters.